0: Are you guys doing well this morning? Everybody? Everybody doing good? Um, Great. Uh, Great to be here. So, you know, one of the things that my family and I love to do is uh, we love to go camping. So Sydney and I, we have three little boys, and we love uh, a time or two a year, it's our goal twice a year, to get out and uh, to go camping, to like reconnect with nature and our roots, whatever that means, you know. And so, uh, you know, this past fall, our two oldest sons, they had a couple of days off from school, and we said, hey, let's go camping. And so we bought an eight-man tent, which... Felt like a bit of an exaggeration. It felt more like a five-man tent on a really good day. But we, we bought this tent and we loaded up the car and we went to the grocery and bought grocery and bought all the stuff that we we're going to need to eat around the campfire. We were just so pumped, and then we we got in the car and we began this two-hour drive to the place where we'd gotten a campsite. Now, my my confession to you, if we're entering into this month of just being vulnerable with one another, is that when it comes to a lot of the stereotypical like man stuff, I'm just not that great at it. Okay, so. Like, if, if you punch a hole in your drywall, like, don't call me, like, because I'll be in your driveway looking on YouTube, you know, just like you could do, and I'm probably not going to be the guy to fix it. Or if your car breaks down on the side of the road, I would love to show up and encourage you to look under the hood, like I know what's happening, but I don't. And, uh, you know, just some of those kind of stereotypical man stuff, I, I'm just not very good at. But, but if you need somebody to build you a fire in the woods... I'm your guy. Like, I mean, like, like, this is my lane. Like, I I should have been an arsonist. I mean, you give me two wet sticks. You give me two wet sticks and I'll give you the forest fire. And so, you know, I I kid you not, we're, we're driving to this campsite and I'm just talking a huge game. I'm like, boys, we're going to get out. We're going to unload, you know, the car like real men do. And then we're going to walk out in the woods. We're going to find some wood in the woods and we're going to put it together. We're going to make a fire. And I'm just telling them how this is going to go. And so we get there. It's a little after dark. I'm just pumped. I've been talking this big game and And I kid you not, for the life of me, I could not get a fire started. And I'm trying, and I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm at like point of desperation where I'm like, you know, maybe i just siphon gasoline out of our car, straight onto the ground, set it on fire. I couldn't get it going. One of my boys looks at me, he says, Dad, why don't we just get Mom to make the fire? She can do anything, and and (laughs) it's true, she can't do anything, but it was a shot to my pride. I'm like, leave your mother in the tent, you know, I'll make the fire. And the the whole time this conversation's going on, there's this other group camping like 15 yards away from us because we spent the smallest amount of money for a campsite, small little area. They're like 15 feet away and they have a California wildfire burning in their little circular rock and it's just like taunting us. You know, the, the, the glow of their flames are speaking judgment over my life and my manhood as we, we go. And so I'm sitting there with my kids and we're trying, I'm like praying in tongues, like God, please give us a fire, you know. And uh, I, I kid you not, one of the guys from the other campfire, he comes up and he brings a log from his fire that was blazing, like he had risked his life, you know, pulls this blazing log out. He comes over and he sets it down in our campfire. And then he starts talking to me like a child. He says, okay, do you know how to, do you know how to find kindling? And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> I know how to find. He's like dishonoring me in front of my boys, but he's like trying to show me how to like make this, this fire go. And, and I, I'm just sitting there and I'm showing the boys, okay, let's put, let's put small sticks on it first and let's, let's blow a little air because we don't just want to protect this like little flame. Like we want to stir this thing into something more than it is. You know, like we, we want to have a fire. And I was thinking about that this week. There's one of my favorite books I've ever read on revivals. There's this line from it that stuck with me for years. Where the author says, you know, revival is what happens when God takes the wildfires of heaven and he begins to place them in the hearts of human beings. Like when the things that God is passionate about show up at our campsite. Like when God takes one of the the embers that's burning in the throne throne room of heaven and he says, let me put it in this cold church. Let me put it in this cold life. Let me put it in this religious person. Let Let me bring the fire I love that that picture of revival. It's this moment of awakening where, where God takes something that's burning in his presence and he begins to put it in the heart of his church. But in that same book, there's another line that just cut me wide open. He says, revival, it always begins in the heart of God and it's extinguished in the hands of the church. The revival, it always begins in the heart of God. But like a clumsy dad at a campfire, it's extinguished in the hands of the church when our love for pleasure, when our distraction with secondary things, when our sin, when our uh, busyness, when those things begin to creep in, we end up robbing the fire of God from the fuel that it needs to burn brightly in us and the culture around us. I just found myself this week going, man, God, like we're in this season, a weekend, and it's been so cool just hearing these testimonies where, where God is quite literally beginning to take the embers of heaven and put them in so many of your hearts. But I go, there's, there's this moment where we have to decide if we'll partner with God to, to put the kindling of heaven on the fires of heaven so that the fires of heaven don't go out. And I love this, this picture that you see unfolding in the book of Nehemiah. If you weren't here last week, I'll just give you the cliff notes. This, this guy named Nehemiah, he lived 450 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was living in this place of unbelievable power. He was right there in the palace of the nation of Persia, which is now modern-day Iran at the time, 450 years before Jesus. It was was the most powerful country on earth. And so here's Nehemiah. He's this cupbearer to the king, which means he's the the right-hand guy to the king. He tastes the wine, he checks the food to make sure it's not poisonous. It was this relationship that was marked by both influence and intimacy. And God shows up in this, this moment. God takes this, this burning log from heaven. He begins to put it in the heart of Nehemiah. And he says, hey, listen, there's more for you. And we saw this last week in chapter one. This awakening begins to stir in Nehemiah. The fire of heaven begins to get his heart and his mind and his will. And you get to the end of chapter one and there's just this resolve on his face where he says, you know what? No longer will I hide behind the comfort of the palace. God, I don't wanna step into the thing that you called me for. But between chapter one and chapter two, this this period of time goes by. And I love it because in the first few verses of chapter two, we get this master's class on what it looks like to kindle the fire of revival that God's entrusted us with. Because Nehemiah is gonna have to keep, he's gonna have to partner with God to keep this fire burning. It starts like this in verse one of Nehemiah chapter two. Look at this. It says in the month of Nisan, that's before they were a car company. That was literally the month of April as we know it. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but the sadness of your heart. And I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So the king looked at me and he said, what is it that you want then? And so then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, then let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild the city. So I, I love this moment. You know, God begins to entrust Nehemiah with the revival fires. God gives him this vision. He says, I want you to move out of this place of comfort. He says, I want you to go back to your your homeland. I want you to rebuild a generation. God begins to stir this fire up in him. But all of a sudden, Nehemiah is tasked with this reality of partnering with God to kindle the fire that's been placed there. And there's just kind of three pictures that I want you to notice. The first one comes out of verse one. Look back at verse one with me. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, I don't know if you take much out of that verse, but I was struck by that as I was reading this week, and this is kind of the first picture of kindling that you see, is that Nehemiah, as he began to kindle the fires of revival, he made the choice that he would persevere in the secret places of prayer no matter how long it took. That he would persevere in the secret places of prayer. Now, here's how I got that out of verse one. If you go back to the beginning of chapter one, verse one, it says it was the month of Kislev, which is the month of December, And now you get to chapter two and it's the month of Nisan, which is the month of April. Four months have gone by. God has begun to awaken something in him. God has begun to stir something in him, but the awakening has not been an immediate awakening. God is beginning to give him a vision. God is beginning to give him a passion. But the opportunity to live that thing out has not yet come. And so what has Nehemiah been doing for the last four months? It tells us at the end of chapter one, for the last four months, he has been praying, he has been fasting, he has been seeking the heart of God for this thing that has been placed in him from heaven. I go, have you ever had a burden like so big on your heart, the only thing you knew to do with it was to bring it and to keep bringing it into the presence of God in prayer? Like I love this because I don't think what we're seeing in Nehemiah is all of a sudden he got more disciplined. He went, I should pray every day. No, I think the fire of heaven had like come in and it touched his heart. It was beginning to burn in him in a new way and the only thing he could do was pray. Think about one of my good friends. Uh, his name is Pius. He is the pastor of our churches in India. You've heard us talk about him a lot. But I love this story that he tells from when his son was born, 18 years ago. His son was born and he had this giant hole in his heart. And Pius and his wife, they didn't have insurance, they didn't have any money, they didn't have this ability to get their son the surgery that they needed, and so right after he was born, the doctor said, hey, here's the deal, you need to take him home, he needs to put some weight on his bones, and once he has enough weight, we need to bring him back and have a surgery in five or six months from now. But I love listening to Pius talk about this, he, because he said, he said, I'm not going to have the money in five or six months. He says, I don't have the insurance. He says, so I went home. And my kid has this death sentence. I don't know what to do. It's not like we decided to go home and get more disciplined in prayer. We just had nowhere else to turn but God. So he tells the story of the next six months. He's like, we weren't going out with friends for dinner. We weren't watching movies at night to unwind. He said, my wife and I, would get home from our work. We'd spend a few, time, a few minutes eating a meal and then we would get on our knees and we would pray until we prayed ourselves into to sleep and exhaustion. Six months later, they show up at the doctor. His son had finally gained enough weight uh, to have the surgery. And he's sitting there in this waiting room and he's like, we still don't have the money. We still don't have the insurance. We don't know what to do with this. And they take their son back to, to check it out. They check him out. They're getting ready to schedule this surgery that he can't even afford to pay for. And the doctor comes back in. And he says, son, sir, we don't know what to tell you. He says, the hole is completely gone. Your son is okay. And you can cheer for that if you want because God is amazing. We're allowed to be excited about a God who changes lives. His son is 18 years old now and getting ready to enter into medical school. And I go, don't you know God wants to do something with his life, but it's not like my friend Pius said I should be more disciplined in prayer. He said all of a sudden a burden that was so big only prayer could bear it came into his life. And it's not until the church comes face to face with the desperate reality of how much we need God that we will ever become a praying church. And there's this moment where heaven begins to touch down. It feels like a fire coming into his midst. midst. Nehemiah doesn't know what to do with it, so he just gets on his knees. And this first place of kindling is this work of persistent and secret prayer. I go, be careful what we ask for in this season. God, help us to pray. God says, I'll give you something. Where prayer no longer feels like a discipline, but a response. I love this. It starts in this place. He begins to put... Prayer on the fire of God is stirring in him. The second thing, he keeps going, look back at verse one. It says, says, is in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was brought before him and I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Nehemiah was a bartender. <laughs> like, you never think of that, but that's kind of his story. And I love in this, this place of awakening, He begins to put the the logs of prayer on the fire of God, but kind of the second place of kindling is, is this desire that he has to be faithful, to be faithful in the place that God currently has him positioned, to be faithful in the place that God currently has him. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about God, but so often he will open up our hearts long before he opens up the door for us to step into that. God will begin opening up the heart. He'll be showing you what's next. And you're like, "But God, what about right now?" Have you ever noticed that like God says, "Hey, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what's coming." And then you're like, "Okay, but is this the day I get my two weeks notice?" <laughs> like, like hey, is this the day I take the step? Like like God has this ability. He opens up the heart way before he opens up the door. And if you've ever known this about God, God never seems to be in a hurry. Which for us Americans is so frustrating. We're like, "Come on, God." We try to be respectful. We're like, "Come on, God." If it's your sovereign will, would you speed this whole thing up? But I love this. You know, Nehemiah, he finds himself in this in-between moment. God has shown him a vision of what's coming next. But he hasn't opened the door to step into what's next. And so now he has to figure out how to be faithful right now. And what's he doing in verse one and two? For the last four months, he hasn't just been praying in the secret places. He has been faithful in the place that God still has him. He's still bringing the wine. He's still serving the king. He's still caring for the needs And that obedience in the day to day stokes the fires of God until the door of opportunity opens up. I love this picture. He's like, God, I see what's next. But the door hasn't opened yet. And until the door opens, I'm gonna serve you right now. In the kingdom of God, there's almost always this gap between the moments of first awakening and the opportunity to step into it. And think about the story of Abraham. Do you remember Abraham's story? God comes to, he and his wife, Sarah, they're old, they're they're barren, they've never been able to have children. And God looks at him and he says, hey, listen, I'm gonna make you the father and mother of many nations. That's my desire for your heart. There's this moment where God takes the burning embers of heaven and he begins to put it in Abraham and Sarah's heart. He says, listen, I've got more for you. But all of a sudden they they find themselves in this in-between, kind of like Nehemiah is in this moment of in-between. They see what's next, but they're like, what do we do with that right now? And Abraham does what so many of us do. He looks at God and he says, okay, God, I see where you want me to go. I'm gonna help you get there. So he and Sarah, they find Hagar. And he tries to bring about God's will by his power, by his strength. And God says, listen, Abraham, I didn't need your help. I just needed you to be faithful in the place that I've put you. So often Sydney and I will find ourselves in this season where God begins to awaken us. He begins to stir us, say something's coming. Like okay, God, like what do we do with that today? And He's like, don't worry about it. And in those moments, I look at Sydney and I say, Sy- Sydney, I'm trying hard not to find my Hagar. And for those of you that know the story, she's like, that better be metaphorical. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I'm like, Lord, like, like don't let me, don't let me white knuckle into existence a door that only you can open. And I love this. How do you kindle the fires of revival? It starts in the secret persistent places of prayer. It will bleed through in the small daily moments of obedience where God has you. But there's a third thing that unfolds. He sees this at the end of verse two. It's this moment where you have to decide whether or not you push through the fear. Look at this. Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah, the one that's writing this down, he says, and I was very much afraid. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you ever think about that, if any of you journal, but sometimes when I'm journaling, I'm like, what would happen if somebody finds this journal 50 years from now? Like, like, what would they think? Like, yeah, I love how raw Nehemiah is here. He's like, there's this moment where God has entrusted me with the fire of heaven. I see what's coming next. I've been stoking that fire in the place of secret prayer. I've been stoking that fire in, in this moment of daily obedience to the assignment that God's given me. He says, but there's this moment where the window or the door began to open and God's like, you got to step through it. And he says, and here's how I felt the moment God opened the door. He said, I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid. So often, whenever a step of faith is required, the feeling of fear is nearby. Whenever an opportunity of faith presents itself, man, the enemy comes with, with fear, now, if I was Nehemiah, I would have written this story in a way that made me look more heroic. Like, God opened the door and I was bold and courageous and I was jacked out of my mind, in case you're curious. <laughs> but he says, I was afraid. I was afraid. I was very much afraid. I love this because the enemy, Satan, Satan is not able to rob you of the promises of God. He can't do that. That's like outside of his jurisdiction. But what he will do is he will come at you with fear so that you will forfeit the promises of God. He can't steal the promises of God from you, but he can come at you with fear in hopes that you will forfeit what God has already promised you. It's what happened with the Israelites. God said to them, Listen, I'm giving you this promised land, it is yours, it's a done deal. But all of a sudden they go in, they explore the land, they see the size of those that they're getting ready to face and they come back and they're shaken with fear. Had fear changed God's ability to keep those promises? Come on, church, had it? No, not at all. But fear was strong enough to get them to forfeit what God had in store for them. And they hit the eject button on what God had next. Not because, not because God wasn't capable, but, they, but because they couldn't see beyond the fear. And there's this moment, God has put this dream in Nehemiah's heart. He says, I wanna send you back to rebuild a generation. I wanna send you back to rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah has been praying for four months and he has been faithful for four months, but all of a sudden a door is getting ready to open and he is terrified and he's gotta decide does he push through the fear? Look at this in verse three. He says, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? So then the king said to me, what is it that you want? And if this is a movie, this is where the music comes in, this is the drama, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? What is it that God's put in your heart? And he responds, he says, then I prayed to God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. There's this, there's this moment where, where Nehemiah, he finds himself on the edge of this thing that God is trying to stoke in him. And there's a moment where it has to move beyond the private place of prayer and it has to move beyond the moment of daily obedience. It has to step into this this moment of risk-taking faith. And here's the reality, is that revival is only accessible to those that are willing to follow God into the places of faithful risk. That revival is only accessible for those that are willing and able to follow God into the places of faithful risk. God says, Nehemiah, this dream I've put in you, man, It's gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you your reputation, maybe even your safety, maybe even your comfort. What God wants to do in you, Ethos Church, is gonna cost you. But I promise the return is going to be worth the investment. There's this moment where he has to decide, will he step through the door of faith? And he's shaking in this moment of fear. And I love how he pushes through the place of faith. Look back at this in verse five. The king says, what do you want? And he says, "I I turn to God. And I prayed to God, just like he'd been doing for four months. He gives this moment up to God. He says, God, I'm getting ready to step off the cliff. I'm getting ready to step through the door. He says, And God, if this is yours, you got to come through. But I love it. He doesn't just give it to God, there's this moment where he takes his shot with the king. And I love this because he, he's scared for like really good reason. You know, sometimes we read these Bible stories and they're so distant. They're so black and white. and We don't think about the fact that there's this real guy standing in front of a real king. And I want you to think about the absurdity of what he's getting ready to ask, this dream that God had put in his heart. He comes to King Artaxerxes and he says, hey, king, will you give me permission to go rebuild the country that you crushed, that you destroyed? Can you imagine walking into the White House and asking the president, hey, can I have your blessing to go rebuild North Korea? Can I be a part of rebuilding their economy and their military might? If any of us said, hey, here's what God has put on our hearts, we'd say, are you sure? Are you sure? But there's this moment where, where Nehemiah realizes. He realizes that what God has put inside of him will be at odds with the man that stands above him. And he has to decide, will he have the courage to speak out that which God has worked in? It's not just that he gave it to God. It's that there's this moment where the king says, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, oh, can I tell it? (laughs) Can I I share this thing? Fear, man, it it shuts us down. Fear can shut down those dreams that you've been dreaming with God for a long time. I remember when I was in high school. uh, Baseball is my thing. I loved playing baseball. And in my junior year, we'd had an incredible season. We were one game away from going to the state championship. And uh, we were in the bottom of the last inning. We were down by two. We had runners on second and third. So if you know baseball, that's, this is a dramatic moment. Two outs, and it's my turn to bat. And that had this amazing season. I mean, honestly, for as long as I can remember, I remember being a kid praying for moments like this. Like, God, did you, oh, please, like, you know, let me hit a home run and do something amazing and get the hottest girl in school and all this stuff, you know, and just like praying, you know, I was more immature than you are, but that's how I prayed. And I remember it's, it's my turn, There's this dream that was there. And I remember like walking up to the plate and all of a sudden just fear just like coming over me. Just fear, like, man, what if I strike out? Like, like what, what, what if I pop it up? Like, what, what if I hit a ground ball and, and I, we don't go to state? I just remember fear just shaking me. And I remember sitting there in the batter's box, strike one, strike two, strike three, and I never even swung the bat. It's a true story, a true story. And I remember just being shut down by fear. Just going, this thing that I have wanted forever and I couldn't even get the bat off my shoulder. There's this moment in the kingdom of God where God says, hey, I've been cultivating this dream in you. There's this thing that I'm stirring up in you, but it will... It will come to a boiling point. It will come to a place where it's no longer just about you praying through in the the secret places or you living out faithfully in the moment that God has you. There's gonna be this moment where you've gotta take this step with God and fear is gonna be knocking on the door and the Lord's saying, hey, will you trust me? Will you come through? Will you take the bat off your shoulder? Will you swing? And Nehemiah steps through the door. And we'll keep watching as this unfolds. God uses this moment to rebuild a generation. And I go, I wonder, what are, what are the embers of heaven that are beginning to burn in you? Like, like, what are the dreams that God is percolating? For some of you, you have this vision of renewed marriage. Like, you're going, man, in, in this year, man, we're going to walk with Jesus in ways we've never walked in the last 20 years. And for some of you, it, it's the embers of heaven reconciling a relationship. You haven't forgiven your mom since she divorced your dad. You know, for some of you, it's, it's the embers of a ministry that's bubbling up. Like you look out in the city and you see areas of brokenness. You're seeing where God's saying, hey, come rebuild the walls. Come rebuild the generations. We have these, these places. And I go, eh, I want to make sure as, as your brother in Christ, you're going, hey, do we know how to put wood on the fire? Do we know what it looks like to not just pray this through and to be faithful in the waiting, but to step through the doors that God is inviting us into? Because what Nehemiah is giving us a picture of is exactly what Jesus did in his life. You know, Jesus shows up. And Jesus did this in ways that nobody else can do and nobody else will do, but he wants to do it in you and through you. Jesus shows up and his life is marked by the secret places. His disciples go looking for him. They're like, where are you, Jesus? Oh, we found you another morning in the early hours. That's why we're taking this whole month praying in the secret places because we believe it's kindling on the fire of God in your heart. Jesus was formed in the secret places. But it wasn't just about his prayer life in the secret places. He was faithful and patient in every season that God the Father had him in. For 33 years, you know, his brothers are going, hey, hey, Jesus, let's go up to the festival. Let's show everybody who you are. And Jesus says, no, it's not the season. Faithful in the season. All the way until the moment when the door opens where Jesus steps through that door onto the curtain of the world stage and he stretches out his arms and his life is consumed on the kindling of that wooden cross. And as he burned for humanity, it looked like the fire of God's presence was going out. God says, It's just getting started. <laughs> and the journey that God invites us on is not just the journey of Nehemiah, it's the journey of Jesus. So don't be scared of the fire. Don't be scared of the fire that God's beginning to awaken. And go, here, here's how I want us to spend the rest of our time together this morning. You know, we, we don't have an evening service tonight. So here in just a few minutes, I'm gonna invite you to get in groups. You can circle your chairs up. You can you can make this room look as messed up as you want. We don't have to have the chairs back the way that we have them. But we're gonna get in groups. And just like we've been doing every week, we're just gonna pray our way through what it is that we just talked about. Uh, Cole, if you wouldn't mind putting the slide up on the screen. You know, for some of you, the, the place of prayer that you need is is you need God's help to persevere in prayer. Maybe you're like me. And for the first 15 years of my journey with Jesus, prayer was this cold, difficult discipline. I couldn't couldn't do it. And it just took God awakening some burdens in me that led me into the places of prayer. And some of you just, this morning when we get in groups, you're just gonna need to say to somebody, man, I struggle praying and I need help persevering in prayer. And to pray about it, not just talk about it, but to pray about it. You know, for for some of you, you're in this season where God has opened up your heart, you are seeing what's next, but you're trying to figure out how do I live faithfully in the what's now? And for some of you, you just need to tell somebody that, man, I see what's coming next, but man, I I need God's help like right now to just live and to work and to serve Jesus where he's put me. And for some of you, you need to pray for courage. Like you see the open door. Like maybe the open door has been there for a week or for a month or for a few years. Like your your toes have been dancing over the threshold of that door. You've stepped halfway through and you've jumped back out of it. Some of you know the door. And you don't need to see the door. You just need courage to move through it. I want to encourage you this morning to just name it. Like Nehemiah to say, man, I have been very much afraid. I've been very much afraid. I want to tell you that. Let's pray through it together. Let me pray over you and then we're going to get in groups. We're going to pray before we take communion. And worship. Father, I love you. I thank you for the gift of being in your presence, of, of having the story of your faithfulness in the life of Nehemiah all these years. And Father, we're not just coming to you this season asking that you would awaken us, not just asking that you'd put the fire in us, but God, we're asking, would you fan that fire into flames? Stir it up, God. Would you help us to, to kindle that which for some of us has been dormant, for some of us is non-existent. God, there's some in this room who have yet to experience any of the fire of heaven. They're like, what is he even talking about right now? God, I just pray, like those guys that showed up at my campfire, I didn't ask them to show up, they just showed up. Holy Spirit, would you just show up this morning? Would you just take the fire of heaven, would you just begin to put it in our hearts in ways that we'd understand, experience? Father, give us perseverance to pray. Give us the faithful patience to to, to keep walking in the season that you put us in. And God, when the door opens, give us courage to take a step. God, would you awaken this church so that you could use us in this city and far beyond for your glory and the good of those that don't yet know you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.